Well, happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to you watching online as well. You know, sometimes it's hard for us men to, to talk to our dads and tell them that we love them and we appreciate them, but I just want to encourage you that if your dad is still living, make that effort today because it sure will be worth it. Uh, men, you know that we were supposed to have a car and truck show this afternoon or display this afternoon uh, or after the, the service, but because of the weather, that's been rescheduled for July 4th. Uh, so that's on a Sunday this year, so hope you'll be back on July the 4th and we'll plan to have the car and truck display then. Well, last week we started a new sermon series called My God. And the idea behind the series is not that God belongs to me, but that I belong to Him. And that really makes a, a lot of difference, the understanding, the awareness that my life belongs to Him. And so what we're looking at in this series are just personal testimonies of people in the Bible as they talk about their relationship with God. And each time they talk about their personal story, their relationship with God, they help us to have a, a better understanding of who God is. I read this week, someone said, trying to perfectly describe God is like trying to draw a map of the Milky Way galaxy to scale. Oh, that was pretty good because... It's humanly impossible to do that, right? And it is humanly impossible for us to fully comprehend and explain who God is. I mean, how in the world could finite man ever fully comprehend the infinite God? And yet, God has chosen to reveal Himself to us in Scripture. And so we're looking at various stories in this series Various personal testimonies of people and how God displayed Himself to them so that we can better understand who He is and who He wants to be in our lives. So one of those places where God displays His glory, where God displays Himself, is in Psalm 3. Would you open God's Word with me to Psalm 3? <clears throat> psalm 3 is a very unique psalm for lots of reasons. We don't have the time to really dig into it, but there are a lot of firsts in this psalm. One or two examples would be, this is the very first psalm with the word psalm in the superscript. Psalm 3, it says, Psalm 3, then under that, a psalm of David. This is also the very first psalm with the notation or the superscript that gives us both the author and the background behind the psalm. And here's the, here's the author, here's the background behind the psalm. It says in Psalm 3, A psalm of David when he fled his son Absalom. So that's the background behind the psalm. A psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. How's that for a Father's Day text? It's not really encouraging, is it? Uh, we talked about this very subject last week a little bit because we looked at Psalm 63 last Sunday. The story of David in Psalm 63 is the story of David leaving Jerusalem, running for his life because his son Absalom is, is chasing him. And David somewhere in the deserts of Judah, somewhere around the Dead Sea, maybe the area of En Gedi, David wrote Psalm 63 and we looked at that last Sunday. Today we come to this psalm and they're both linked historically. Psalm 3 and Psalm 63, because both psalms are connected to David, and both psalms are connected about to his broken relationship with his son. And one of the reasons I believe that the Bible is the infallible, inerrant, inspired Word of God is because of psalms like Psalm 3. 
Because in the Bible, the heroes of the Bible don't always look like heroes. The heroes of the Bible don't always act like heroes. If we were writing the Bible and we were writing about David, the greatest king of Israel, there are certain parts of his story we would leave out. Because we want to elevate this man, the greatest king of Israel. And yet, today we're going to look at this father who had a broken family, who was estranged from his son for years. But the reason we're looking at his tragic story is not just to wallow in the mire of, look how bad things were in his family. But through that tragedy and through that crisis, we learn some things about David's God. My God. Your God. And so Psalm 3 is where we're going to be looking today. Let me give you the background just so you can understand the depth behind this psalm. Again, this is not an inspiring Father's Day message, I get that, but I'm wanting to point you to God. And you have to understand the black background before you can understand the jewel of Psalm 3. Here's the background. About a thousand years before Jesus, David's son Absalom was born. Absalom was actually David's third child. Absalom one day killed his own brother. Because his own brother had raped his, sister, his half-sister Tamar. Talk about a dysfunctional family. Talk about a broken family. So out of fear that now because he's killed his brother, Absalom runs away from David and he runs away from, from Jerusalem and he actually spends three years hiding from his father. There was a go-between between David and, and Absalom, and eventually Absalom gets permission to come back to Jerusalem. And when he comes back to Jerusalem, this is what we, we read in the Bible. Here's how it's described. Absalom lived two years in Jerusalem without seeing the king's face. So even though he's back in town, David wants nothing to do with him. And for two years, they continue to be estranged. So now, it is a total of five years that David has not seen his son. And Absalom has not seen his father. Five years. Eventually, when you come to the end of chapter 14, Absalom is able to go into the presence of the king. And the Bible describes it this way, that Absalom went in to see the king, and the king put out his hand, and Absalom kissed his ring, and that was the end of that. So when you come to chapter 15, here's what we find out. In chapter 15, Absalom decided he wanted to be king. So he plotted to take the throne away from his own father. And it says this, Absalom, the next one. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. He was plotting to take the throne away from his father. And so he manipulated and he lied and he schemed his way into the hearts of the people. And he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. Eventually, it, he got so much power that he was literally able to force his father to leave the throne and to leave Jerusalem. And the thing that made that so hard as he left Jerusalem that day is this. It was not just a Gentile pagan king, another Gentile pagan king that was forcing him out. It was his own son that was doing this to him. 2 Samuel 15 describes that time as like this, but David continued up the Mount of Olives. That is, he went 
He went down into the Kidron Valley, leaving Jerusalem. And then what? Up the Mount of Olives. David continued up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered, and he was barefoot. Now here's why all that matters to you and me. It was while David was fleeing from the armies of Absalom. Broken by the betrayal of his own son. That somewhere he sat down and he wrote the words of Psalm 3. See, I want you to understand that when we read Psalm 3, Psalm 3 was not written from a golden throne with servants at your beck and call. Psalm 3 was not written in Jerusalem in the middle of a tremendous worship service. Psalm 3 was written during one of the most devastating, desperate times in David's life. So here's how the psalm opens, verses 1 and 2. O Lord, how many are my foes, how many rise up against me, many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. Notice that this psalm begins with the repetition of the word many. Three times in two verses we're told that David had many people against him. How many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. Absalom had indeed stolen the hearts of his people. Because David said there are many, many, many people who are out to get me now. I just got to pause. First of all, let me say, choir, you did awesome today. Thank you for singing. That was amazing. It was so encouraging to stand there or sit there and, and listen to that. You, you guys were just a blessing. But I got to tell you this. Do you know the very first word of that? Uh, well, let me back up. Do you know that that entire song is actually Psalm 3 put to music? The entire song. Look at the words. The entire song is simply Psalm 3 put to music. It's one of the reasons it's so powerful because you're singing scripture. But I've got to tell you that up until last night, I've always misunderstood the first line of the song. I mean, I've heard that song for years. And in preparation for this message, I probably listened to it 10 or 15 times this week. I've listened to Preston Wood Choir. I've listened to all kinds of choirs singing that song this week. And it wasn't until last night I was listening to it again. And Preston Wood Choir, this particular video I was watching, they had the, the, the lyrics on the screen as they were singing it. You know what the very first line says? After you get past the oohs and the ahs? The very first line is, <clears throat> many are they, no, many are they increased that trouble me. Is that right? Many are they increased that trouble me. That's the very first line. Many are they increased that trouble me. Until last night, I thought the song said, Many are they in Crete who trouble me. And that song has always bothered me. It's like, who in Crete is bothering? And so theologically, I'm trying to remember the story. It's like, that's an Old Testament, that's, that's Psalm 3. Was Paul claiming, Paul went to Crete? Was, was Paul in Crete and in trouble and he was claiming the promises of Psalm 3? So I was all messed up. Until last night when I saw it, it's like my face got red. It's like, oh, many, many are they increased that trouble me. That's what David said. Lord, there's many in Crete and every other place that trouble me. <laughs> many are my foes. Many rise up against me. Many are saying of me, God 
will not deliver him. I, I want you to notice something. They were saying God will not deliver him. They were not saying God is unable. They were insinuating God was unwilling. Look at the text again. Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. Historically, you need to understand that all of this occurred after David's sin with Bathsheba, after the murder of Uriah. And the people of God turned against David by the influence of Absalom. They began to see David running as a scared king, running for his life. And they decided and they declared, God will not help him. Not after what he's done. Not after the way he lived. In fact, the King James Version says, there is no help for him in God. There is no help for him in God. I think that's probably about the worst thing you could say about someone, is that there is no help for him in God. The worst thing you could say is, is God's not going to help him. God's given up on her. I'm going to tell you something. If, If we've lost God's help, who can help us? And so, when they were saying... God will not deliver him. That was their opinion, that God had given up on him, and David was getting what he deserved. By the way, don't let the opinions of others keep you from what God wants to do in your life. There's always a negative voice somewhere. There's always a critic somewhere. There's always somebody that's decided you've done too much, and you've gone too far, and you're a lost cause, and God's not going to come to your aid. But that is the voice of the enemy. That is not the voice of God. We need to read the rest of the psalm because it says in verse 3, But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. People might be convinced that God is done with you. People might be convinced and feel like that God has given up on you. And you might even feel like they're probably right. David, the chosen man of God, said, but let me tell you what I found out about God. Let me tell you my story. Let me tell you my testimony. David said, but you, speaking to God, but you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. I want to break that verse down for you this morning. First of all, I want to ask you the question, when do you need a shield? You need a shield, of course, when you're being attacked by the enemy. And if your life is falling apart and you feel attacked by the enemy, here's some things that you and I can do in this text in verse 3 and following. The first thing you can do is this. Make sure that you shift your focus. In verses 1 and 2, the focus is on the many. In fact, he says it three times. Many, many, many. In verses 1 and 2, his focus is clearly on the many who are out to get him. But in verse 3, his focus shifts. You see that in the first two words of verse 3. But you... In contrast to the many, but you are a shield around me. David knew what people were saying about him. And David also knew that what they were saying about him was not true. Because David understood that God was not like his critics. God was not like his enemies. David understood that he could still have confidence in God. Yes, his life is in shambles. Yes, his family is broken. Yes, his heart is heavy. But he could still have confidence in God. And so David says this. Three things in verse 3. 
Verse 3 is just dripping with absolute confidence in God. David says, the Lord is our shield. The very first time you see this in the Bible, this idea of God being our shield, is in Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. In that passage of Scripture, God speaks to Abraham and He says, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. The idea behind that that concept is that in the Old Testament days, the king was often viewed as the shield of his people. In other words, the king was the protector of his people. God said to Abram, you don't have a king because you're following me. I am your king and I am your shield. I am your protector. I am the one watching out over you. And in verse 3, David shifted his focus away from his enemies and he shifted his focus away from his critics to the God who was going to be his protector and his defender. Can I say to you today that it really does matter where your focus is. As you live your life, especially if your life seems to be falling apart, it really does matter where your focus is. David said, God is my shield. And, And notice how he describes it here. You are a shield, look at this phrase, around me. Now in that day, there were two kinds of shields. There was a, what we would might call the full length shield, the full body shield, and that was the big shield that you would carry into battle. Uh, the, the infantrymen would carry that into battle as they're marching towards the city. That was the big full length shield, but it still only covered the front. Then the other kind of shield was a much smaller shield. You would hold it in your hand and the sword in the other. and That's the shield you would use in hand-to-hand combat, hand-to-hand battle. That's the second shield, a small shield. But that's not the kind of shield that God was. And God wasn't even the full-bodied shield. Because David said in verse 3, God, you are a shield, watch this, around me. God, you are protecting me on every side. David might have been surrounded by the enemy. But watch this, he was also surrounded by God. I say to you today that your life is in the hands of a sovereign, powerful God who surrounds you and protects you from the enemy. God, you are my shield. Then he goes on to say, not only is the Lord our shield, as you continue to shift your focus away from your problems, away from the crisis, away from the heartbreak, and shift your focus towards God, you find out that God is your shield, but also, secondly, you find out the Lord is our glory. Look how David says this so beautifully in verse 3. But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me. There's a time in David's life he had a lot of glory. He was the greatest king of Israel. He sat on the throne of Israel. He was God's chosen king over Israel. He had all the earthly acclaim you could ever imagine. He had all the power you could ever imagine. He had all the wealth and the prominence and the glory you could ever imagine. He had it all. And then there was a day when he lost it all. He lost his, his earthly glory as he was run out of town. Do you remember those words in 2 Samuel? But David continued up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered and he was barefoot. He had lost his glory. Maybe speaking to somebody here today and you know what that feels like, don't you? Nothing glorious about what you're going through right now. 
Nothing glorious about the circumstances you're in right now. You know where we normally find our glory? We normally find our glory in power and prestige and position and possessions. Those four things. Power, prestige, positions, and possessions. And the more we have of those things, the more glory we we think we have. And David had all that. And he lost all of it. He lost his power. He lost his prestige. He lost his position. He lost his possession. He lost it all. But he found something in the middle of that. You know what he said? He said, I found God. You gave me your glory. Look at the text. This is beautiful. You bestow glory on me. Not that I have glory. But you bestow glory on me. On me. Listen, you can try to find glory in wealth and in your beauty and in your achievements, but it just won't last. David said, You have bestowed or given glory to me. Now, why would that be? If David is, is the fallen king of Israel, if David has a broken family, if David has disgraced the name of God, how in the world could he claim to have God's glory? Because, listen to me, he was still a child of God. And the very fact that he was a child of God. God still had his glory on him. I don't mean that God was approving of what he did. I just mean that he he could not lose his status as a child of God. He found his glory in God. And when you find your glory in God... When you find your glory in your relationship with God, that is something no one can take away from you. When you find your glory in your relationship with God, that is something you can never lose. David goes on to say, not only is the Lord my shield and the Lord my glory, but the Lord is the lifter of our head. Whenever we're discouraged or defeated or depressed, what do we tend to do? We tend to lower our heads, don't we? And usually it's during some kind of loss. We lose something vocationally. We lose something related to our health. We lose something in our marriage. We lose a relationship in our family. There's some kind of loss. And and because of that loss, we feel the weight of it. Discouragement. Depression. Feeling defeated. And we lower our head because of the loss. David lost his dignity. He lost his kingdom. But most of all, he lost his son. And he felt the weight of it. And he lowered his head in shame. He lowered his head in defeat. He lowered his head in discouragement. The greatest king Israel had ever known felt like a failure as a father. The greatest king Israel had ever known felt like a failure as a man of God. He had blown it. And he knew it. David was about as low as you could get. And maybe you know what that feels like. Maybe that sounds familiar to you. And if so, I want you to listen to the next words I'm going to say. When your shoulders are drooping and your spirits are sagging and your head is hanging low, I want you to know God is still close at hand. 
The reason I know that is because of what David says in this text. David said, You bestow glory on me and you lift my head. In other words, God was so close to him that God could say, Come on now, lift your head up. Come on. God was encouraging him. In other words, it's true what Psalm 34, 18 says. God is close to the brokenhearted. And I say to you, dear friend, to those watching online, God has not abandoned you. God has not given up on you. God has not forgotten you. And if you feel like a failure, and if you feel like you're in the middle of a crisis, and you don't have any control over it, I just want to remind you, there is one who is in control. And he can lift your head. Say, well, Pastor, what I do? Here's the second point. You cry out to God in your pain and in prayer. Look what David did in verse 4. To the Lord I cry. What's that next word? I cry what? Aloud or out loud. To the Lord I cry aloud or I cry out loud. There are times, a lot of times, when I pray silently. And there's nothing wrong with praying silently. Probably a lot of you have, have times where you prayed silently. But there are times when you're facing situations where it just feels like you, do, you need to do more than pray silently. There are times when it just feels like I, I need to express this. I need to vocalize this. I need to cry out to God. Uh, there, there was a time years ago when I was dating Lisa that she was still at Carson Newman. Uh, I had graduated a year ahead of her and she was still finishing school. I was in Johnson City, Tennessee. She was in Jefferson City, Tennessee, about an hour and a half apart. And so I drove down to Carson Newman to see her one, one day, of course, I stayed too late, and I was coming home late at night, driving up the interstate from Jefferson City to Johnson City, and as I was driving up the interstate late at night, I fell asleep at the wheel. I honestly don't remember all that happened. I just remember the car went off the side of the road. I remember waking up, and I remember seeing headlights coming at me, and I, cry, I literally cried out loud, Oh, God, help me! Just like that. I said it loud. I wanted to make sure he heard me. So I said it loud. And it was just, an, it, it was not, I won't pray silently about it. This was no time for silent prayer. I was crying out, oh God help me. And to this day I still don't remember all that happened. All I know is that I, I ended up on the side of the road. Cars were going by me and my chest was pounding. My heart was beating so hard. But there's times like that in your life where it's like, you're in the middle of something hard, something bad. It's a crisis. It's a situation you can't handle. And it's not time for silent prayer. This is the time to cry out loud. That was David. David said in this text in verse 4, David said, To the Lord I cry aloud, or I cry out loud. And I love the next part of verse 4. And he answers me from his holy hill. In other words, God had heard him. David said, God's not against me. God heard me. My enemies, in verses 1 and 2, my enemies say God's against me. But when I cried out loud, God heard me. And he says, and God heard me. Watch this. This is so good. He answers me from his holy hill. That is, from Jerusalem, from the Temple Mount. Now, the temple wasn't there yet. Only the, the, the Ark of the Covenant was there. And that represented the presence of God here on earth. David said, when I cried out loud down in the deserts of Judah near the Dead Sea, when I cried out loud, God up on the mountain heard me and he answered me. In other words, Absalom may have kicked him out of Jerusalem, but God was still on his throne there. 
And he heard me when I cried out to him. I would encourage you today, if your life is in crisis right now, if you feel as low as you can go, if you are discouraged and defeated and your head hangs low, I would encourage you, cry out to God in prayer and in the middle of your pain. And number three, when you do that, you can rest in total trust in God. David says it this way, verse 5 and 6, I lie down and sleep. I'll wake again because the Lord sustains me. David decides he can totally trust God. And so he decides he's going to go to sleep. I mean, David was kind of like, well, God, there's no reason for us both to stay up tonight. I'm going to go to bed if you're going to stay up. And so David goes to sleep. Think of all that was crashing down on David. Think of the of the problems that he was dealing with. Think of the crisis in his family. You would think that sleep was impossible. But David was trusting in God totally and completely. I'm going to tell you something. You either trust God or you don't. You don't kind of trust Him. You don't halfway trust Him. You trust Him or you don't. And David trusted Him enough to say, I've got enemies all around me, but I'm going to go to sleep. But the cool thing is what he said next. He said, I, I lie down and sleep. I, watch this. I wake again. Now, why did he say that? I mean, we would take for granted if he went to sleep, he woke up, right? Why did David say, I wake again? Because he didn't know when he laid his head on the pillow that night if he'd ever wake up again. He didn't know if the enemy would not come and take his life while he was asleep. And so David makes the point to say, listen, I laid down and I slept and God was watching over me. And guess what? I woke up again. God took care of me. And that gave him so much confidence. Look what he says next. Verse 6, I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. Here in verse 6, we understand how many, the many are that he referred to in verses 1 and 2. Remember verses 1 and 2, he talked about many, many, many. Well, how many was the many? Well, he tells us in verse 6, tens of thousands. David said, but I got so much trust in God now that I can sleep like a baby. And I'm not going to fear, even though there's tens of thousands attacking me. Let me just, you, you just might want to write this one down. I didn't give this to any other service. So you, this might be for somebody here. Give it to God and go to sleep. Just write that in the column of your Bible there. Just give it to God and go to sleep. Maybe I need to remind myself of that as well. And then finally, Here's the last thing you do. You keep asking God for victory. Keep asking God for victory. Look what he says in verse 7 and 8. Arise, O Lord. He's praying again. Now, he's already prayed about this, but now he's praying again. It's another day. You can't, you can't depend on yesterday's prayers. You've got to keep talking to the Lord today as well. Arise, O Lord. Deliver me, O my God. Strike all of my enemies on the jaw and break the teeth of the wicked. That doesn't sound very Christ-like, does it? I mean, for some of you, you say, I'm highlighting that verse because I'm going to pray that over somebody. I got a list of people I'm going to pray that one for. David is not looking for revenge. He's not asking God for revenge. David is asking God for deliverance. Deliver me. He says it right there in the text. In, in uh, verse 7. Deliver me, O God. And he says it again in verse 8. From the Lord comes deliverance. Not revenge, but deliverance. David is saying, God, 
Would you deliver me from this problem? Would you deliver me from my enemies? And here's, here's what he says. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. I'll tell you something. Sometimes we, we think, well, I just got to get through this. I've said that. I've thought that. Sometimes I just got to get through it. But that's not what David's praying. David is not praying that he gets through this. David is praying for victory in the middle of this. David is asking God for victory. He knows what God has done in the past, and that gives him confidence to ask for victory right now in the present. So listen, when you're praying, don't just ask God to help you wander through it. Ask God for victory over the enemy. So here's a story. Psalm 3. Let me take you back to the superscript. The Psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. Can I say it to you this way? The Psalm of David when his life was in shambles. Psalm of David when he was estranged from his son. Psalm of David when his heart was broken. And he changed, he shifted his focus to God. And that made all the difference. God, you will be my shield to protect me. I'm trusting and believing that. God, you will give me your glory because all I have is shame and regret. I need you to remind me that I have glory, that I have worth because I am your child. And God, I really, really need you to help me, to deliver me, to show me how to make it through this. So lift my head. So defeated. I'm so discouraged. I'm so depressed. God, would you be the lifter of my head? My head hangs in shame. My head hangs in regret. My head hangs in in discouragement. But God, would you be the one who lifts my head? And David wrote in Psalm 34 verse 18, God is close to the brokenhearted. I want you to bow your heads with me for a moment. As we close this service, I... I want to end in a little bit different way. I want to share a scripture that's called a blessing. It's actually called the priestly blessing from Numbers chapter 6. And this is for anyone here today, but especially for you fathers. I want this to be your blessing. Especially if you feel like, man, I am as low as I can go right now. I want you to hear this blessing. It says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face toward you and give you peace. And God, that's my prayer for every person here. That you would bless us and that you would keep us in your care. That you would make your face shine upon us. That you would look towards us and not turn away from us. That you would be gracious to us even though we don't deserve it. 
that you might be gracious to us. And that you would turn your face towards us and give us peace. Knowing that our Heavenly Father is watching over us. Give us peace. And I pray that in the strong and mighty name of Jesus.